Hi, this is Bree from Chaos Babe Painting on Instagram, and you're listening to Tale of the Manticore. The following podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Tale of the Manticore, Season 2. Like the creature from which it takes its name, Tale of the Manticore is a mashup, a crossbreeding between two different species of storytelling. Here, you will find the unpredictability of old-school RPG paper and dice games with the storycraft of a dark fantasy novel. No character is sacred, and no character will be spared if the dice decide their fate is at hand. According to lore, the tale of a manticore is barbed with cruel iron spikes. There will be much pain in the days ahead. Last time on Tale of the Manticore, Chapter 26 picks up right after the PCs failed attempt to catch whoever had been chasing them. Yellowfly takes them to a place he knows called the Wind of the Cliffs. It's a ramshackle inn run by a woman named Janelle, who is a member of their guild. He hopes that she can provide a safe hideout while they speculate on the possible reasons for and implications of what has happened. Meanwhile, much is taking place that same night in different parts of Silmoral. Deep underground Whitestone Castle, Carrick Malmar, the Royal Archmagus, finally has his breakthrough and finds a way to open the doors that had confounded him for so long. The key he had been searching for is actually a name, Azor Azul. Then, in a flashback going almost 250 years into the past, we witness the newly crowned King Vincis and his two companions as they pass through the very same portal. You know, they say that history repeats itself. I wonder if there's any truth to that. Returning to the present, we visit Araness as she receives a visitor in the dead of night. It turns out that the person who followed Yellowfly's gang actually works for her. Although he is really nothing to report, at least he wasn't caught. Araness might think twice about sending him back out for a similar mission, as it seems he has no talent for espionage and is more likely to get both of them into a lot of trouble than to find out anything useful. The chapter ends with the companions playing at dice with Janelle and her son in the Wind of the Cliffs. During the game, Janelle tells Yellowfly and his companions about an opportunity, a job working alongside a different church gang on a mission outside the city. Chapter 27 Part 1 Day 107 Early Evening Party Status Yellowfly 19 of 19 hit points Cole 18 of 18 Shawnee 16 of 16. Catsbane, 8 of 8. Spells available. Catsbane has memorized Magic Missile, times 2, and Mirror Image. The caravan included two box-shaped wagons with linen pulled tight over the tops like drumskins. The bed and walls were of cheap pinewood construction. The wagons were pulled by a total of four draft horses, two for each. Of everyone involved, the drivers had the most dangerous job. The other gang had drawn lots to see who would fill them. Whether through an abundance of courtesy or a lack of trust, Yellowfly and his companions had not been asked to take part in that deadly lottery, and this suited them just fine. The reason the drivers' jobs were so dangerous was that this whole convoy was bait for the weeping eye. 
Church agents had leaked the story several days ago that a wealthy merchant's family was moving to Brannan after a relative had passed away and left them a country property. Colfrey's snow tax, it was said, had made it impossible for them to maintain their estates in Rosedale, and so they were relocating. The leaked rumor included the detail that they had already moved most of their valuables. This was a misdirection. The hope was that it would lend credence to the story while still providing a tempting piece of bait. For the cargo reported to occupy the wagon train was the wealthy merchant's whole family, his wife, and his children. The pair of wagons were rolling through a dangerous stretch of land only a couple hours outside of Brannan. Had there been any windows, they would have seen the Brentwood to the west. To the east, they might have just been able to make out the pennants of Wolf's Cliff Keep. Nearby, also in that direction, were the ruins of a temple to Sadal. That place was a known meeting spot for brigands, outcasts, and other lowlifes. They were currently in a vale, a place known as the Holloway. Once upon a time, it had been called the Hallowed Way, but as Sadal's temple fell into disuse and then ruin, folks forgot the original meaning, and the name changed in the way names often do. Inside the second wagon, Danilon was explaining some final details about the plan to Yellowfly's group, which had been hired on as mercenaries. If they're going to attack, it will be soon, friends. So keep your weapons to hand and your wits sharp. Danilon was a thick-limbed man of about 30. A crossbow rested on his lap, and a mace leaned against his hip. Earlier, he had explained that the wagons had been purpose-built for the mission. When Cole now asked for more details, he explained. The lead driver's seat has been fortified on the sides with iron sheets, so he's got cover up to his shoulders. Furthermore, all of the drivers are wearing good leather armor under their cloaks and steel caps under their hoods. If the Winks take the bait, it's almost a sure thing they'll attack with arrows. The lead wagon is the more likely target, though they might try to disable the front and back with bow fire. Hopefully the weather will make it a tough shot. I don't envy them, but they should be fine. But there was more to the wagon's construction than hidden iron sheets, and it was Danilon's sister, Fia, who explained this part. I built the wagons myself, she said proudly. See there and over there? Pull those pins and the wagon's sides will swing down like ramps. If I were the weeping eye, I'd aim for the horses, offered Cole. I... She and her brother both had strong Napulic accents that Cole found put him at ease. They might well do that. I'm sure Jace hopes so. (laughs) She cocked her head in the direction of Jace, who had drawn a short straw and was outside driving their wagon. Although the pine board wall separated the occupants from the snow and biting wind, it was still very cold outside. Fly and Cole were chainmail hauberks, and they had been on the road to Brannon already seven hours, so by now they could feel the winter's chill in their bones. Yellowfly hoped he would be able to move quickly if the expected attack came. He would find out soon enough. The siblings, Danilon and Fia, are both sworn members of the Church Thieves Guild, just like Yellowfly and his companions. However, they do not have the same experience as the PCs, and frankly, they're a little excited to be going on a mission with the same people who disrupted the Three Days of Justice and slew Balak. Despite efforts to keep rumors to a minimum, word has traveled, and Yellowfly's gang has made a name for itself among Silmoral's thieves. The attack that they're hoping for, if not outright expecting, is indeed coming. But the important question is this, do the weeping eyes know they are being set up? If they do, the church could find itself caught in their own trap. I wonder, what are the chances that someone let vital information slip, or was bribed, or possibly that the church has a double agent among its members? I'll say that there is a 3 in 10 chance. However, the PCs were blessed by Lady Luck after Cole's success at the dice game past 10. 
so I don't want to forget that. They get a plus one to the roll. Let's see, where's a d10 when you need one? Ah, here we go, a lovely iridescent purple dye. Would you believe that I bought this at a dollar store? <laughs> I guess D&D really is in the mainstream now if I could do that. But I digress. Here's the roll. Oh, I got a one. Let this be a lesson to me. You buy your dice at a dollar store, you get dollar store rolls. So much for lady luck. They called him Sir of the Mad though his full name was Sorodioth. With his long red beard and wild fiery mane of hair lifted in the whipping wind, he really did look insane too. Furthermore, though the cold and wet were surely felt by the men around him, Sorrow the Mad seemed unbothered by the elements. He had not always been a warlock. When his master had found him less than two years ago, he had been living in the streets of Silmoral, barely able to feed himself through begging and the occasional theft. His brain was already half-rotted by a lifetime of alcohol abuse, deprivation, and public scorn. But his master must have seen something in him, for he lifted him up, showed him how to navigate the secret paths in his mind, and taught him the names of power. Sur the Mad watched the approaching wagons. Including himself, there were thirteen of them here, hidden among the snow-covered trees. From this lower vantage, they had not been able to see the wagons as soon as they might have, but the temple ruins on the hill did not offer much in the way of cover and they were too far away for what he intended. Contrasting his red hair, Suro had unnaturally clear blue eyes that looked like slivers of ice. He stood aloof from the larger group, but kept two men close to protect him. The flies approach, he said in a flat monotone. Those, those little flies. Did you think to trap the spider? Suro was fully aware of the irony in his words. He had an acquaintance who knew somebody at the Wind at the Cliffs Tavern, and this someone had sold him some very interesting intelligence. It had not come cheap, but it would be worth it if the church's heroes really were on board. Yellowfly's own guild members were not the only ones to have been impressed by his band's recent deeds. The fools draw near. You two will stay with me, no matter what should come to pass. It took a moment for the two cutthroats to realize he was talking to them. Most of the time, Soro muttered under his breath, or seemed to address the wind. If they run, shoot them down. If they draw near me, then the sword. The warlock raised a hand in front of him, and, holding his thumb and pinky out with the other fingers curled in, spoke a single word of power. Into the very air in front of him appeared a blackened sigil that hung in space before it burned itself out and then was gone. Soro waited until the wagons were very close before he even moved again. His men had concealed themselves behind the trees, silent and still. When the wagons were just a few dozen feet away, he closed his strange blue eyes and spoke a second incantation. At first, nothing appeared to happen. Then the two lead horses slowed and stopped, standing on their feet with their heads dropped low, fast asleep. Suro's men had been expecting something like this. Without a word and as one, the group of armed men broke from their hiding spots and approached the wagons. The driver in the front car looked around, at first perplexed by his animal's behavior, and then over his shoulder as he heard and then saw a much larger than anticipated group of approaching men. He had expected to be challenged by three brigands, perhaps four. This was nearly a dozen, but they weren't bothering with his wagon. They were all moving towards the other one. Perhaps his blood ran cold as he realized their plans would not fall out as they hoped. Perhaps he felt only panic or bewilderment for a moment. But a moment was all he got before Suro the Mad cast his third spell. 
If you play TTRPGs, at some point you will come face to face with the real BBEG, scheduling conflicts. It can be frustrating to spend countless hours preparing for an epic campaign only for it to fizzle out. Life gets busy, but a new app called Your Role can keep your campaign rolling. Your Role is a virtual tabletop designed for your phone. You can role play and roll dice over chat so you can play a little bit every day. It's simple, no fuss battle map, makes strategic combat a breeze. And here's the best part it's free. But Your Role is more than just a fix for your scheduling woes. It's also a burgeoning community of independent TTRPG creators. Browse Your Role's collection of maps, character options, and other homebrew content, and feel good knowing your purchase is fueling an independent creator's passion. So check out Your Role, that's all one word, Y-O-U-R-R-O-L-L, available on both iOS and Android. I've mentioned before how I will, occasionally, play sections of an episode out of order. Well, after I rolled that one on my dollar store D10 and, you know, wallowed in shame and worry for a little while, I got to the business of dreaming up what kind of encounter would suit such a bad roll. I decided that it might be cool, and appropriately dangerous, to have the Weeping Eye led by a spellcaster, and depending on what spells I rolled at random, they would have some kind of plan in place to turn the tables on their enemies, who'd hope to draw them into an ambush. I flipped a coin to see if the spellcaster would be a cleric or a magic user, and I got the latter. I decided that they should be a fairly powerful one with access to better spells than the party, so I dreamt up Sorodioth the Mad, who is a nasty piece of work, and a fifth level wizard. Actually, he isn't technically a wizard, he's a warlock, and learns his spells a bit differently. But for all intents and purposes, we can think of him as a fifth level magic user, per the BX rules. As such, Sorodioth gets two first level spells, two second, and a third. Here are the rules. For first level spells, on a d12, a 7, and an 11. Oh, how about that? That's protection from good and sleep. Yikes, he's already a real threat and I only just started. How about second level spells? A 2 and an 11. Okay, hang on. That's detect good and web. Oh dear, this is getting worse by the moment, but it's this last roll that could really, ahem, spell trouble. Ready? Here's the roll. A four. Fly. Oh, that's a new one for me. Not quite sure what to do with that at the moment. At least I didn't roll a three. I'm not going to say which spell that is, but it often follows the enthusiastic announcement of I said I cast. Really, it's sleep and web which are going to cause the most trouble. So let's take a look at those two spells before we go any further. Sleep has a range of 240 feet, lasts about 1-2 to two hours. It will put 2-16 to 16 hit dice of creatures to sleep with no saving throw. Sorodioth the Mad will aim his spell at the lead horses. This should very effectively bring the convoy to a halt, and it might get the driver too. The driver, like all the church members who aren't in Fly's gang, is a level 2 thief. Okay, I'm going to need a pair of D8s. Maybe I should look for those dollar store ones, they seem to roll low. They do indeed. I rolled a six. Only the horses, which have three hit dice each, will be affected. The spell web is yet another no-save spell. It can immobilize a 10 by 10 by 10 foot area for 20 to 80 minutes. You know what's about 10 by 10 by 10 in size? A wagon. And 20 to 80 minutes is such a long time I won't even bother rolling. Most situations like the one about to happen are over and done in a much shorter period of time. One last thing to mention. Suro has cast protection from good on himself. 
and it will give him a plus one to any saving throws he might need to make. It will also make it harder for any member of the church to hit him. Putting philosophy and moral relativism aside for now, I'm going to rule that the church members are all more or less good. They'll suffer a minus one on any rolls to hit the warlock for a full hour. Okay, that's enough metagaming for now. Let's get back to the narrative. Chapter 27, Part 2, Day 107, Early Evening, Party Status. The party status is unchanged. Tell me again, what did Bellic say right before you ended his miserable life? Fia was leaning forward with both hands wrapped around the hilt of her short sword, the tip of which was pointed down and stuck into the wagon's pine bed. A huge smile dominated her face. Between that and her freckled nose and cheeks, she looked a bit like a little girl asking for a bedtime story. Cole looked away. The question forced him to relive the moment, and he distinctly remembered the gurgling scream of the working girl who stood between Fly and Bellic and who died along with the captain. The smile disappeared from Fia's face, and now she no longer looked like a little girl, but the deadly rogue she was. Before they had set out, they had all agreed on two codes for the drivers to use when the inevitable encounter came. Two slow knocks meant all was well. They could drop the wagon walls and spring the trap. Three quick ones meant trouble and that they should wait. It seemed unlikely the driver would have forgotten such an easy code, and Jace was probably the most reliable among them. This was cause for worry. But if the knocking was not enough to alarm them, feeling the wagon come to a stop was. Danilon's face creased with shadows. He shot a baleful look at his sister and then stood up and pulled first one wooden pin, then another from the wagon's corners. The rest of them were on their feet by the time the walls swung away as they had been designed to do, dragging the linen top with them. The sunlight, reflected on the snowy terrain, blinded them momentarily. Catsbane blinked. He held his forearm perpendicularly across his brow to shade his eyes, and then his heart sank at what he saw. They were surrounded by a loose ring of spears, axes, and swords. The men wielding them looked like hardened killers, and, to a man, they were. Clad in a variety of armor types, most wore leathers. Others had mismatched quilted armor, with or without various accompanying hides and furs. Some wore helms. Others had the hoods of their woolen cloaks pulled over their heads. They could now see Jace in his driver's box, or they could see the back of him. Jace was staring with his mouth agog. It wasn't the noose of enemies pulling tighter around them that held his attention. That was certainly bad news. They had expected three, maybe four enemies that they could easily overpower, and this turn of events clearly indicated that they had been betrayed or otherwise found out. Jace was looking past these men, over their heads, at the other wagon. Near it was a man with wild red hair, his back to them, and with his hands rising up to each side. He looked like a choir master leading a silent and invisible group of singers in a moment of crescendo. When his hands reached their apex, thick black ropes of sticky, sinewy glue exploded from the ground all around the other wagon. They arced over top it and then fell heavily. Five, ten, twenty of these gluey ropes, dozens of them, snaking up from the snowy ground, sticking to the wagon and holding it fast. While Jace gawked at the weird wizard, Yellowfly looked into the faces of the men who surrounded them. He counted eleven. By their expression, they had not expected the walls of the wagon to fall away. One of them held a torch instead of a weapon. It was clear that he had intended to lob it onto their wagon's linen roof until a moment ago. Which of you is the one called Yellowfly? Asked the red-haired mage. He had turned around and now strode toward them. His eyes were glowing bright blue, 
Who was it that betrayed us? Returned Fia with a demand of her own. Her sword was up and she waved it menacingly at the men nearest her, who grinned evilly back at her. Both sides stared at each other for the space of a few heartbeats while fluffy white snowflakes fell silently all around. If it were not for the dire circumstances, it might have been beautiful. Danelon broke the tension. We have the high ground, he began. It was true. The six of them, seven including Jace, were standing on what amounted to a small stage on wheels. Tell your men to lower their weapons and withdraw. There's no need for bloodshed. It was clear that the red-haired man with the strange eyes was their leader, and so Danelon was addressing him. To his credit, Danelon's voice did not shake at all. The red-haired man looked back at him. Amusing, he said, not looking very amused. Try to leave one alive. Kill the rest. Thank you for listening to Tale of the Manticore, and please stick around for a postscript after the credits. If you've enjoyed the show and would like to help to support it, there are lots of ways to do so. You can recommend it online or to friends. You can like and retweet episode announcements on Twitter. You can pick up One Shot in the Dark, the Pendulum World Building Tool, or Encyclopedia Manticorica on DriveThruRPG. And finally, you can rate or review the show on your podcatcher of choice. Thanks to everyone who has supported the show. I'd like to share one of your kind reviews right now. This one is on the Podbean app. It was posted by, I'm going to have to spell this one because I do not have a clue how I should pronounce it. D-U-X-E-F-S-M-Y. D-U-X-E-F-S-M-Y writes, Great podcast. Inspired me to play D&D again after many years. Nice. Some of the mightiest reviews are also the briefest. It absolutely warms my heart to hear that my pod brought you back into the fold. I hope that you're enjoying your return to the best hobby ever. I know I am. Thanks again for that kind review. Allow me to also thank my excellent cast of voice talent. I've got one returning actor and two newcomers today. Voicing brother and sister church guild members, Fia and Danilon are Dot from Resting Glitchface and Gaming with Gage and Friends, and newcomer Michael Waldschlager II at LoserMLW on all socials. Michael is one busy guy. He can be heard as Tazzy on Redemption, the longest-running FFG Star Wars actual play podcast at redemptionpodcast.com. See him as Maxi on Chaos Inc., a bi-weekly Tuesday evening stream of the cyberpunk system Identico at twitch.tv slash identico. And as Leon Hubert on A Time of Masks and Daggers, a brand new weekly Wednesday evening Dragon Age stream at twitch.tv slash rookandrasp. Suro the Mad was played by another newcomer, Blythe from the Grognard Files, who got the role just right. Please let me recommend all of my actors' great podcasts. If you're looking for something new, give them a shot. If listeners would like to get in touch with me, I'm at Manticore Tale on Twitter or Tale of the Manticore Podcast on Instagram. And there's always email, taleofthemanticore at gmail.com. Finally, I keep a blog where I post all kinds of show and RPG-related stuff, like maps and art and tables and crafts and show notes. You can find it at taleofthemanticore.blogspot.com. The adventure will continue on the next episode of Tale of the Manticore, the story where chaos rules. Postscript. In addition to a post-roll ad, I wanted to include this first-time-ever postscript at the end of this episode. I know that some of my listeners will have been beside themselves over Suro the Mad's use of his available spells, but there's good reason for all of it, and it's not just because he's a little bit insane that he did what he did. Suro has the following spells. Protection from good. Sleep. Detect good. Web. And fly. 
He will use every spell in his arsenal if it will help him. That only makes sense. Detect good is kind of a waste, but since I did roll at random, I wanted to have him actually equipped with the spells rolled. If I'd rolled doubles, he would have doubled up, but otherwise that'd be shameless min-maxing. That's why he doesn't have web times two. And yeah, detect good is a wasted slot. Protection from good is the easy choice. He casts it on himself before the encounter begins. Easy peasy. The spell fly will be his escape plan if things go pear-shaped. I think that makes sense too. That leaves sleep and web. I'm sure someone will be irked by his having used it on the horses. Why not the wagon? Couple reasons. He can't see inside the wagon, and so it could be an empty decoy. Worse, it could be full of enemies and his spell might only affect some of them. That would effectively waste it because those unaffected could quickly and safely wake their allies. That leaves Webb. Casting it in a way to half their number of enemies is an easy choice. Yes, he's taking a risk in that one of the wagons might be empty, but he can't really wait until his men are too close, or they'd be caught in the web too. This, as I see it, was his only sound choice. Which wagon should he immobilize? The lead one. Choosing it has the benefit of blocking the road so the wagon in back cannot easily get away. Well, I hope that all makes sense. I tried to play, and will continue to try to play, Suro the Mad, as a lethal and cunning adversary. One last thing. I wanted to mention that while creating Suro, for the first time, I used AI art to generate a portrait. What I came up with, I found so inspiring that I really don't think I would have found Suro as interesting as I do had I not made that portrait. This is a trick I think I'll add to my solo playing toolbox for the future. It's a lot of fun and really clarifies my imagination. I'd recommend it to any solo players to at least try. I'll post the portrait on the blog so you can see this NPC's face and judge for yourself. The good friends of Jackson Elias are Scott Dawood, Paul Fricker and Matthew Sanderson. And together they talk on their podcast about Call of Cthulhu, horror films and weird fiction, as well as other horror role-playing games. Check it out wherever you get your podcasts or head over to blasphemoustomes.com.